like you want to be here. Let's, yeah. Um, today, so we're in the third part of, uh, what's the series? I don't remember. I'm just kidding. Anybody remember? I heard lots of different words there. Um, today, I want to just start by saying I love awkwardness. Do you, if you know me, you know that. I one time just whispered in a guy's ear at a, I didn't know him, at Target, just, I, I like bikes. Just, just to see what would happen, and that, that's what happened. It was just a weird, awkward moment. Um, I would love to go to a, like a buffet line, and instead of getting food off the table, like in Practical Jokers, get it off the people's plates in line. It's something I'd love to do. And, but I've had other people tell me that I, I don't have fear in, in uh, relationships. I, there's no fear. There's no, my wife hates it, but I just, I, I don't care. And I love awkwardness, so we talk. We're in for fun. But in the spirit of awkwardness, and this will tie together, I promise, um, I was reading some things about Bill Murray. Anybody a fan of Bill Murray? Woo! Yes. He, uh, there's a website dedicated to him. Um, it's called uh, BillMurrayStory.com. And it's just a bunch of stories of him, uh, of things that he's done, awkward moments. And one, one was, one time Bill Murray came up to me at a Wendy's, took a fry off my tray, ate it, looked me in the eyes and said, no one will ever believe you. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, Impractical Jokers is another show I love. It's, it's the show about four lifelong friends with doing graphic stupidity. Um, and uh, one of the things that they do is if you can't do it or you're, either you're unable to or you're not willing to accept the challenge, you lose. And at the end of the show, the loser has a punishment they can, that they can't refuse. Some of those were uh, one of the guys, Murr, he's the parent one, um, he married Sal's sister, another of the guys, like for real, married him, or her. And uh, another one was he was forced to skydive and he had terrible fear of heights. And another one was uh, three of them lost and one of them chose to give tattoos to the other three. Yeah. And uh, if you haven't seen the show, it's on True TV, I suggest it. It's on literally all the time. So just turn to True TV, it's there. Um, but one of the guys got one that said, 38 lives alone, has three cats. That's a good one for the ladies. Um, Murr, the ferret one, uh, got one that said, uh, there, it was a picture of him skydiving as a ferret. That's good to have. And then the other one right here, huge one, was a picture of Jaden Smith, um, Fresh Prince's son. Just, yeah, which is good. They're awkward moments, and they got something uh, permanent because they couldn't endure the temporary. And we'll get back to that. But uh, there's things that we fear that we're unable to overcome. We're not willing to endure the temporary to the permanent. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld. I, I loved researching fears. Um, I just love fear. It's just an interesting thing to me. Um, but George Sein, or Jerry Seinfeld said, according to most studies, people's number one fear is public speaking, doing what I'm doing now. Number two is death. Death is number two. Um, and, and his joke was, this means to the average person, if you go to a funeral, you'd rather be, you're better off in the casket than doing the eulogy. 
Um, I like that. But in this series, we've been discussing the art of neighboring and loving where we live. Um, Todd's challenged us for a couple weeks. The first week, he asked the question, what would happen if every one of us took the great commandment seriously? And he told us the story of the Good Samaritan. He was despised, yet did the right thing, and ultimately became the hero of that story. And last week, he asked us the question, are we living at a pace that allows us to be available to those around us? Do we have margin in our lives? Are there things that we can cut out so that we can do the important things? And he shared the story of Mary and Martha. Martha was concerned about the preparations. Mary was concerned about the right thing, sitting at the feet of Jesus and doing what he was calling him to. This week, as I said earlier, we're talking about the fear factor. Y'all remember that show, Fear Factor, eating some weird things, um, putting things in certain places in your body? It's a good show. It's probably on True TV. Fear Factor. The reasons we struggle meeting our neighbors is where I'm going to dive in. And meeting our neighbors where they're at. And the reason it's tough to love where we are living, just as it says. But um, I want to, before we dive into the text and stuff, I, I just want to say... I think it's dumb, and hear me out, I think it's dumb to ask God to do things in your heart. Can I, can I just say that? I think it's dumb. Here's why. Trish is looking at me like, what? Blasphemy? Whatever. I don't mean dumb because those things aren't worth being worked on, or dumb because uh, God isn't going to do those things. I'm not suggesting that he can't do those things. My problem is that he actually does those things. That, that's the problem. In the past, I've asked to be more patient. Has anyone asked to be more patient? <laughs> Suddenly, you hit every single stoplight. Or your kid is you're acting like your kid. Um, I've asked to be better with money, and then suddenly things break down. And that thing I was saving for, not really saving for, that I was going to put on my credit card, I'm, I don't qualify because <laughs> I spent all my money. Thank you, God. <laughs> I've recently asked God to help me be a better neighbor. Mm. Yesterday, I was at the library. Someone got a flat tire. I offered to help my little experience. I, I held the jack. Um, there's this creepy guy that walks around our block. I saw him this morning. and I, I, He's legit creepy. And he walks around with either a full trench coat, this was yesterday, full trench coat or a three-piece three suit. That was this morning. And he wears slippers, and he's got his little dog, like a shih tzu or something. Um, th that's weird. And uh, because I want to be a better neighbor, I felt convicted to say hello. And, you know, how are you? The nerve... Of God. I asked the guy's name just like Todd told us to, and immediately afterwards I forgot what his name was. I think it's Daryl or Samson or something. A buddy. It's Buddy. <laughs> but today we're talking about fear. What is it? Why do I have it? How can we fight against it? And then maybe a few suggestions. Did you know that fear will only strike when you do things? Like when you're intentional, when you're purposeful. If you're uh, just dreaming of doing things, fear is just like, oh, that's good. I don't need to mess with him. He's not 
actually going to get off the couch. Fear loves Netflix and chill. Fear loves you being a couch potato. It loves you just chilling at home. But start making your way through the door, and fear starts creeping up. It's going to happen. It's like this phoenix rising within that's like acid reflux or something. Just nasty. Fear, and I'm going to put this quote. I don't like acrostics. I don't like them, but I was kind of raised Baptist, so I have to. So fear is false evidence appearing real. And then I, I encourage you this week, your homework, if nothing else, if you're taking notes, remind yourself to look up fear on Google. Just types of fear. You'll, you'll spend a lot of time. Here's some ones I found. We're going to say these together. Ethazorgorophobia. Your turn. No, I'm kidding. You don't have to. The first one is fear of being forgotten. Think home alone. <laughs> he probably has this fear. The next one, philophobia. Fear of falling in love. Vicky had this fear and then she met me and it was like, floodgates open. <laughs> Numerophobia is fear of numbers. There's scary Atelphobia is fear of not being good enough. Phobophobia is fear of fear. I'm so scared, I'm scared. I'm so scared, I'm afraid. Chlora, coal, no, I messed this one up. I researched about it. Cholrophobia, cholrophobia. I guarantee you all have this. Have you heard the movie It? Fear of clowns? And then this one, I think we all need prayer for this one. Automa. Automatonophobia. Automatonophobia. <laughs> Automatonophobia. That's the fear of those little ventriloquist dummies. What in the world? Like, they're. Fear is all around us. There's thousands of fears. There's probably millions of fears. Fear of air conditioning going out, which we have right there. Uh, fear of the projector not working. Projectophobia. I don't know. But it's something that we can't get away from. Fear is all around us. Did you know one of the most common phrases in the Old Testament is do not be afraid. I started working on this message thinking, okay, I'm going to come up with five ways to overcome your fear. And it's going to be acrostics. No, I'm kidding. It's going to start with all the same letter. Uh, but yeah, it doesn't work. And then I realized that you're not able to do that. No research showed me that you, there's simple ways to get rid of fear. But fear is not the ultimate issue. Fear is a symptom, not the problem. You fear, and this was eye-opening to me, you fear because you don't trust. You have your eyes on the wrong thing. You are focused on the temporary and not the permanent. You fear because you don't know, and you fear because you aren't connected. There's a... a famous Baptist missionary named Jim Elliot. He was a missionary to Ecuador. And he went there to spread the love of Christ, and he has an unbelievable quote. Called, I don't think I put this up. Yeah, I did. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's one of my favorite quotes. We sing a song that has that kind of, sort of, he is no fool. No, it's different. And Jim Elliot did that. In Ecuador, he was killed by the tribesmen he went to see. He was murdered on a, a beach. And you hear that story and that's like, oh, man. 
He gave his life for something. But I think it's more interesting and it's more powerful to me that his wife, Elizabeth, stayed in Ecuador. They had kids. I don't know how many kids they had. I think three or four. He died, murdered, and she immersed herself among the tribe. And then she wrote this. Sometimes fear does not subside and one must do it afraid. Like that's, ooh. That's be courageous. Don't be afraid. Do it afraid. My goal today is not to get you to move across the world and die for your faith. My goal is to help you see that fear is normal. And it's not something to be afraid of. FDR, Franklin uh, D. Roosevelt, on his inaugural address, he said this, and you've heard it millions of times, probably the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. He did this in a time of depression, country was falling apart. People were scared out of their minds. They didn't know where the next meal was going to come from. And they took all their money out of the banks because of fear. Because of likely, we've heard this term, fake news. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And it keeps going. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror paralyzes needed efforts to convert, retreat, and to advance. Translation, stop retreating because you're scared. Start advancing because God has something for you. You don't need to stop. Do it afraid. We know this type of fear, this fear that paralyzes us when I see ventriloquist dummies. Fear that causes us to do stupid things when we wouldn't do them otherwise. If you watch the news or read doom and gloom on Facebook, I guarantee the fear will ruin your life. There's lots to be fearful of. But that's not our focus. So let's dive into scriptures. Genesis 3. You know this story. God created. I'm going to sum up the first two chapters. God created everything. Before God, nothing. After, everything. Genesis 1 is the story, in case you don't know, Genesis 1 is the creation story from 30,000 feet, from the clouds. Genesis 2 is the same story from the dirt. And then Genesis 3. That's where it gets really interesting. That's where humans join the game. God tells, basically Genesis 3 is this. God tells Adam and Eve not to eat the fruit. A talking snake representing evil convinces Eve that it's okay to eat the fruit. And we place the blame on Eve a lot of times. I know guys do. Um, But it says she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. This was the first time, just so you know, that a husband ever said, whatever you want, baby. And then it gets to this, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. I don't know if I put this on the screen. If not, I'm sorry. The eyes of both of them were opened, and then they knew they were naked. And let me just say, Adam Adam knew. He knew that she was naked. Uh, And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Think rompers. And they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I was afraid. It's been there all along. When you're close to someone, you don't get afraid. Paul talks about perfect love drives out fear. 
You don't get afraid unless relationally there's something wrong or you've done something bad. Harrison isn't afraid of me uh, when he does things wrong. He's afraid of what I'll make him do or what I'll take, take away from him. He's afraid because he knows what he did is wrong and doesn't want to face the consequences. Also, Harrison is my son, if you don't know me. I'm not just talking about this weird kid. But when you're afraid, there's some kind of relational disconnect. My, my neighbor, Buddy, we'll call him, he makes me a little afraid. Who wears a three-piece suit in 80-degree weather, walking your dog in slippers? Buddy. Buddy. <laughs> Everything about that scares me. Trench coats, three-piece suit. What's going on underneath there? Little creepy devil dog. <laughs> Heat, calm down, son. And walking. I'm, I'm scared of walking. Clearly. Sorry. You can laugh. <laughs> Thank you, Jade. Started. Fear is a good thing sometimes because it shows that you're doing something more worthwhile than just the norm. You're not doing the status quo. You want to move beyond saying, hey, buddy, and helping him see the life of Christ. Helping him connect. Helping him be, uh, just see what the love of Christ is. For this series, it means connecting with your neighbors. There are other fears that we could tackle. We fear of ventriloquist dummies. I don't know. We need if you if you have a fear, come up here and we'll pray for you because they're weird. Yeah. But uh, when you walk over to your neighbors, this is just a a little tid like an extra thing for you, a little nugget of truth that I think I'm going to share with you. When you go over to your neighbors and you want to connect with them, don't bring up Jesus first. Can I just say that? Is that weird? Don't bring them up first. I had this friend, his name was Yusuf, um, and uh, at, when I was a freshman at UNCG, he smelled immaculate. Like, he smelled like the heavens. Like, you smelled him from miles away. That was the issue. He, instead of putting just a little bit where you smell him like when he's close, you smell him when he walks in the door. It was a good smell. Like, don't, I don't want to say, like, it was bad. Like, it wasn't stank. It was, you know, like, flowers or something. But, like, it was a little too much. You know what I mean? Have you ever seen oversaved people where everything is Jesus? Like, I'm talking about, um, I'm at Walmart. You know, I was going to get a, a coupon. And then Jesus gave me a discount. No, he didn't. Walmart did, man. Sometimes we do a little too much and we come off scared. And we make them afraid. And so, I just want to encourage you. Also, when you're at restaurants on Sunday, I know waiters. And Sunday is the worst day to be a waiter, just so you know. If, you're, if you've not been in the service industry, um, you sh- it, it, here's another truth. Uh, serving to church folks is the worst thing in the world. Just so you know. And the reason is because we're cheap. And the reason is because we're kind of a jerk. So don't be a jerk and don't tip well. And don't leave one of those like little fake dollars that you open it up. You think it's money, but it's a tract or something. Please, please. So when I say don't bring up Jesus, I'm not saying hide him from them. Keep my Jesus over here. What I mean is he'll come up naturally. If he's that important to you, he will come up. There's nothing standing in the way. But don't force him on people. Okay. I'm going to pause for a second. This is going to get 
serious. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> Too much. Okay. Okay. Can I be honest about something? Two people? We'll talk afterwards, Barry. If that's okay. If not in church, where can you be honest? I fear for the church. Let, let me rephrase that. I'm afraid of the church. I'm going to explain. Church folks scare me. There's a little... And I'm not pointing anybody out, Rick. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, uh, we're really good at being Pharisees. We're really good at being hypocrites. I'm really good at being a hypocrite. Like if I was Jesus, I wouldn't choose. No offense, but any of you. Um, <laughs> there's a few Christians in my life that I can be real with, that I can bring up the real struggles. I can be honest. If I brought certain things up in certain groups, it'd be the kind of awkwardness I don't like, which is weird. But I fear for the state of the church. And this is, I mean, I'm not joking here. I fear for the state of the church because we've become too political. We've become too focused on casting our ballots. We've become too front and center on issues that aren't about Jesus. We tend to boycott things because they have a gay moment. We tend to call names to people that we're called to love. The church has become more known for what it's against than what it's for. And that scares the hell out of me. Here's the reality. And I'll put this on the screen if you're taking notes. We will never change the world by going to church. We will never change the world. We will only change it by being the church. And I don't think church attendance, public prayers, worship singing, all out defines my Christianity. My pursuit of Christ defines my Christianity. It's the question, what is he doing in me? My pursuit of others, and this is a lot of times where we, we get in this weird debate of it's not works, it's faith. Like Jesus never had that argument. Your faith is your work. It's all the same. Just stop arguing. Um, but my pursuit of others shows the world how real I mean it. I guarantee if you ask your neighbors if you're a Christian, it's going to be a tough conversation. Certain people. Like, I don't mean certain people like Rick or something. I mean like certain people you ask. <laughs> you're easy to pick on. You're right there. I'm already staring at my beautiful bride, so you're right there. It's just right there. So. But there's a phrase I've been wrestling with and letting it settle in my heart that says, living for him by loving them. Living for him by loving them. If you're taking notes, I think that's worthy. I came up with it. <laughs> but do you know what's, what stood out about the Christians in the early church in the New Testament after Jesus died? What stuck out? It wasn't what they believed. Did you know that? It wasn't that they thought, hey, this guy rose from the dead three days later. That wasn't a new story. Caesar was told to raise from the dead. Other people, Apollonius is a guy, was told that it was rose from the dead. 
It wasn't true, but it was a story. It also wasn't what the Christians were against, which they were against a lot of things. Circumcision, hola, we're against that. Thank you, Paul. Uh, but the thing that stood out for the followers of Jesus is Acts, 3, uh, Acts 4. There was not a needy person among them. Comedian Louis C.K. says, The only time you should look in your neighbor's bowl is to make sure they have enough. You don't look at your neighbor's bowl to see if you have as much as them. We're so busy keeping up with the Joneses. I don't know where that phrase came from. I just want to know. I'm young, but... But so many times we compare ourselves to our neighbors. We think, oh, I can't do this because I don't have the right grill. We can't have a cookout at my house. We don't have a big enough TV to watch the game. They're not going to want to come over. But the only way we fulfill God's mission is by looking out for one another. Not to us, but to the other. We live for Him by looking out for them. So how do you shift your focus from fear to faith? That's too many S, I'm sorry. It's the Baptist. So furthermore, let's fully finish up with a few further final points. <laughs> For this message, I did a, a ton of research on the collapse and how to revive American uh, community. Did you, did you know in the 50s, people were actually good neighbors? Like there was no, there were people outside, people didn't lock their doors. Now you've got to lock that door. Get a storm door too. Get, get a screen on top of that storm. And then, and then a vault on top of that one. Keep people out. <laughs> but there's a lot of things to overcome when it comes to community. And it's going to be tough. I'm just going to be honest. But most studies show that it's just connecting with your neighbors. A lot of times we get so focused. Let me hang out with Larry. His kid's in my karate class. Or I'm going to hang out with the kindergarten people. Or when I go to the gym in the morning, I'm going to hang out with them. Or I'll see these people at church. And what that, if that's all the focus you have on helping to love others, that's all about you. Because that's when it's convenient for you. What I'm talking about is being intentional. Literally going to the person next door and saying, hey man, I'm, I'm having a cookout. You want to join? Hey man, I have a, I need you to fix this tire. You're good at that. I can't. I'm tired of holding the jack. Todd, um, I don't know where I put that book. The series we're based on here. It's called The Art of Neighbor. It's a really good book. There's a lot of practical things in there. As soon as I'm done, one of y'all can have it. I'm not done yet. But there's tons of things in there about doing this. And Todd talked about finding time for your neighbor, cutting out things so you can do that. And there's a quote from Mike and Mike. I love that show in the morning. They're splitting up. Jerks. There's nothing in the world better than investing everything into something that means absolutely nothing. And he's talking about sports. Like we spend all this time doing this thing that it really doesn't matter. We invest everything in something that means absolutely nothing. But what if we were to take the Ten Commandments seriously as Todd talked to us? 
What if we were to switch it? I heard Alan Holmes, he's a pastor here in town at Daystar, say, Our ability to build the kingdom of God is dependent on the strengths of our connections. God's kingdom will only be built by word of mouth, basically. By you sharing your word. It's your word of mouth. And I'm not talking about social media. This is going to be a little tangent, I'm sorry. Social media is not connecting. Did you know Facebook is a company? Not a social network. Facebook is a company. Yeah, you can connect with somebody there, but even more so each and every day, it's advertisers plugging things to you. It's a way for people to make money. And if that's all your connections are, is Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, you twit face, YouTube, you twit face, uh, did anybody catch that one? No. <laughs> they're great, but they're all trying to sell you something. That is the purpose. I don't think Mark Zuckerberg cares that you took pictures of little Charles. I don't know. No kids' names is coming to mind. Little Jesus, we'll call him. Uh, and putting that on Facebook. That's not what he's about. The depths of your connections are only limited by your willingness to connect. If you say, man, I really wish I was better friends with Buddy. It's weird. But it's limited by me. If I wanted to be best friends with Buddy, I could be best friends with Buddy. We could both have three-piece suits walking down the street. I have a little dog. Step on dogs together because they're not walking fast enough. But the depths of our connections are only limited by our willingness to connect. Never in this world have we had such easy ways to connect with other people. And never in this world have we had more prescription drugs for fear. Because we are not connected. People say social media is connecting the world. The world is more disconnected than it's ever been. Unless you're talking about surface level. I have a problem loving certain people. Can I, I'm just going to be honest. I have a problem loving certain people. If you're one of those talkers... I have a problem loving you. Struggle. If you're up in McGrill, I just have a problem. If you smell like Yusuf from a distance, we'll talk. You're right up on me. Back off with your flowers. But I don't have a problem loving Harrison. <laughs> That's a lot. But uh, ultimately, I love him. Not a bad parent. We have any DSS representatives here? No. <laughs> but but I, I don't love Harrison because he's earned it. Can I get an amen, parents? And this, is, this may sound harsh, Tricia. Just be prepared. Kids don't deserve our love. <laughs> that was written for you. I wanted to see your face. They arrived on this planet screaming with an attitude. <laughs> None of them are concerned about you. Ask them. They'll, they'll tell you. Harrison told me that yesterday. Just stop talking to me, please. But you freely give love to them. 
So dumb. <laughs> and before you come up to me afterwards, just I'm going to tell you, I, I don't like your kids. Just, let me, I'm just going to get that out there. I know some people are going to come. You, well, not my kid. Yeah, it's your kid. I don't, I don't like kids. Kids are awful. But the reason you love them is because they're your children. It's just, I think it's required. Like, you don't love them because of their performance. Jorge told me he doesn't just love Jade because she's an amazing singer. You love them even when it's messy. And what my challenge for you is, what if you loved your neighbors not because you like them or because you chose them, but because they are your neighbors? Because they're just there. <laughs> and they won't go away. They're not going away. You know the old Allstate commercial? Like a good neighbor. Stay over there! The depths of your connections are limited by your willingness to connect. Let's go to the scripture. We've only got about enough 45 minutes. <laughs> we'll see. Number 13. The Lord said to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan. That's the promised land, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone, a chief among them. If you want to read and win in Bible trivia, keep going, but I'm going to skip down. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go into the Negev, y'all know the Negev, and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, or whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are strong are are in camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not, be of good courage and bring some fruit of the land. This is do some research, look into your neighbor's window, peek over their fence. If you do that, you can tell them your worship pastor. Keep going. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land, and they told them, he told him, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people in the land who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. <laughs> Y'all know Anak? And then some other ites. We'll keep going. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. And the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go, against, go up against the people. They are stronger than we are. Joshua and Caleb are the only ones to speak up and remember that God had promised them a better life. They remembered that they had to endure the temporary to inherit the permanent. 31. So the spies brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which... We have gone to spy out. It is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, large people, basically. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seem to them. They were huge. They were scary. They were Goliath. The Nephilim were said to be 12, 13, 14, 15 feet high. We don't have time to get into that. But... They seem like grasshoppers. We seem like little people. We seem, we're like something that can be trampled on. We look at 
God calling us to change the world, and we're like, oh my gosh, I can't do that. I'm just a little grasshopper. Not realizing that they're giants. That they're giants of the faith. Joshua and Caleb could see that fear was distracting all the others from pursuing God's provision. God was the one who told them to go look. They were the ones who came back scared. Did their enemy, and we're going to wrap this up, but did their enemies really see the Israelites as like little grasshoppers? Or was that only the ten spies perceiving it that way? Fear is perception. It's all about trust. It's not really about what you know. Fear is not true most of the time. Unfortunately, the nation of Israel believed the spies more than God. So God became angry. He called them cowards. And as a result, they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. It wasn't God's plan for them to get to Canaan. No, he wanted them to walk into his promise. But their fear kept them back. I wanted a good Star Wars reference right there, but I couldn't fit it in. I'm sorry, Bill. They were on the doorstep of something God had wanted them to do, but their fears kept them from doing it. And the spies were wrong, and we're going to get to Rahab's story real quick. Forty years later, the Israelites came to the promised land, and every single person had died except for Joshua and Caleb. Even Moses died. And then we hear this statement from Rahab, a woman in the land. She said, things were not as you thought. It's not the reality. And Joshua and Caleb had been right. God had called them there and wanted them to be there. And then, he sa- and then she says this, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings. And I'm going to go down. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is a God of the heavens above and the earth below. And I had picked this passage because it just stuck out to me. And then I realized Greensboro is literally the city of the grasshoppers. I didn't plan that. I just, I didn't like baseball. But we're not. I think God wants to do great things through you. And I think it starts, and I hope this series has challenged you to think about, how can I be a neighbor? How can I be good to my neighbors? I've prayed, I say this every time I speak to you. It means so much to me. But I've prayed for my son to have a boring testimony. For he walks with God all the days of his life. I've prayed that he would be the greatest of his generation. And I got that from Moses himself saying he was the greatest of his generation. Which is a humble brag, if you ask me. I've prayed that, he would, that Harrison would impact millions of people. And it's not because he's great. He's probably better than your kid. 
But it's not because he's great. It's because he serves a great God. Someone who rose from the dead. Someone who's bigger, more powerful than our fear. Fear can be many things, and I suggest for you to figure out what it is, specifically about your neighbor. Like, why, why can I not walk over there and introduce myself? Why can't I just say, hey, buddy, what's your name again? I know I asked yesterday. It's Ralph, right? No, whatever. I'm, can I call you buddy? Just make it easy. What are you afraid of in, in relationships? your neighbors, to those around you. I wrote down some. Are you afraid of being walked over? Or that they've come to expect it? Like you start this trend of, hey, I'm going to help you mow your lawn this time. But they're going to ask that every time? No, set some boundaries. Are you afraid of being awkward? It's going to be awkward. Embrace the awkwardness. You'll get a good story, I promise. Are you afraid that they'll think less of you? People think less of you all the time on Facebook, man. Are you afraid that they'll rely on you? That's another thing about boundaries and discernment. Are you afraid that you'll never be able to do enough to help them? So you might as well not start. In the book, they quoted, the hardest part about loving others is that you can always do more. That's tough. We need to just get over it and just... I'm not worried about everything I have to do. Yeah, I'm going to help her mow her lawn this week, but I can't help her get a new fridge. Just do what you can. And don't feel guilty about it. Are you afraid that you'll meet new people? I know that's a fear. I I couldn't find that one, but I know that's a fear. I've got too many people in my life. I don't need any more friends. I I don't have room for one more. I, I wrote this, and then I was like, dang, man, that stinks. Like, it convicted me that I wrote this. Like, if I say I don't have room for another friend in my life, and I was just like, well, if that's the case, then your life is as good as it will ever get. And don't expect it to ever be better than it is right now. And that's a crappy life. <laughs> that's what I wrote myself, and I was like, Fear is real. I, I'm not saying get over your fears. And instead of those questions that I just mentioned, ask this. What kind of life change will happen in me if I were to reach my neighbors? Like, what's it going to do for your faith? What kind of breakthroughs will I get to see in other people? I guarantee things are going to change. And then here's one that sucks. I was convicted on this one. What kind of things will I regret if I don't do something today? We had uh, Brittany and Jeff live next door to us for 47 years, five years or something. And like, I felt like we had this superficial surface level thing, but we never had them over for dinner and they just moved out. And I was thinking about it while we were coming up with this and just like... Like, we were friendly. We talked. Vicky shot their wedding. Not shot, but shot. And, 
And it was just like, ah, I regret that. And now we got this other lady who just parks in a garage. I never say that. But how can I love others better is the point of this whole series. How can I love where I live? And I'm going to put this on Facebook, but I, I wanted to read out some things. And these are just practical things, and I promise this is almost over. I know you're sleeping. There's six of you. I'm just kidding. Here's a couple practical things you can do. I'm going to put it on Facebook or on the, if you're on the Facebook group page, it'll be there. But if you want to jot some down, stick out. Have a cookout and invite the whole block. Most of these are free. Some of them, that, that would be expensive. Mow the lawn of a single mom. Not for the dad. That dad is lazy. Okay. <laughs> Do it for him, too. I wrote it, and then I was like, man, I didn't include dads. Wash your car and your neighbors. So ask permission on this one, but don't just start washing the car. <laughs> hey, you, uh, I'll get you next. Start praying for your neighbor. You don't have to pray like that. But do a prayer walk. Walk your dog in slippers in a three-piece suit. Introduce yourself to every new person who moves in. and Bake them cookies or something. I don't know. Have a party for no other reason than to celebrate who you live near. Go to that party that Alice invited you for her stupid kid. Rent a projector, play movies on your house. Play loud music and make them confront you. That was a good one, I like <laughs> Just go over and say, hey, man, that's, that's the easiest one. Yeah, and just make sure you don't have traps because they're going to think you're a solicitor and they don't like watchmen, especially watchtower people, watchmen, whatever. Um, in our neighborhood, they don't like them. No solicitors. Let your kids play in the front yard instead of the backyard. Mm. You'll get tons of people. Use your front porch. Make a front porch if you don't have a front porch. Sit outside in your apartment building. Just right outside your door. Refuse to park in the garage if you have one. I think that's a big one. I, know, I see lots of people just pull in and they're in there. And they're in there until they go to work the next day and they never see anybody. We don't even have to shop anymore. We don't have to order food. We can just do it all online. Never see anybody if we really wanted to. People work from home. Never see people. If you know someone who lives near you who works from home, just go over and say hello. 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 You can say hello too. That's an awkward moment. That's a good story. Who's this creep? But I guarantee they they want to take a break. And if you come over, they've been calling American Express people all day or whatever. They're going to want to get off that phone. So. Let your kids play in the street. I didn't get permission to say that one, but. Have your kids go across the street. Use them as like spies, like decoys. Like you bring your friends over here. See someone doing work in their yard, offer to help. This would not be me. I, I would mess things up. Believe me, you don't want me to hold your jacket. I drop it or something. Start a community group just to hang out. Invite your neighbors every time you want to go to the pool. Hey, I'm going to the store. You need anything? Just people think you're weird. 
Ask to borrow a tool, even if you already have it. It could be a lie. I don't know. See if you can create a block directory. This was from the book. This girl went around making a, a directory, like uh, getting names and phone numbers and, uh, for her neighborhood because there had been lots of break-ins. That's Greensboro. That's grasshopper land. That's happened. You could easily do that. Find a way to be nice. Something. I don't know. And then here's the main point. Open your eyes and see that there are opportunities if you just get a little creative. Anything. One final scripture, and then if y'all want to come up, Jay. Um, this is 2 Timothy 1 7. Let's stand for this. And I just want to pray right after saying this. Let's all say it together. Here we go. For God gave us the spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I don't think we meant that. Let's say it again. For God gave us the spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God, we thank you for who you're making us. We thank you for your spirit and all that you want to do with us. And God, we just expect things to happen in our lives, not because we're great, but because you are. And as we sing just this next song, Tremble, peace, bring it all to peace. The storm surrounding me, let it break at your name. Whatever's going around us, do not have to be afraid. For you have done great things in our lives, and we expect even more today. I pray that we learn to be good neighbors. I pray that we learn to just rest in all that you're doing in our midst. And we thank you, God.